From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Lombardi Line with Michael Lombardi and Patrick Maher on VSIN. This is the Lombardi line indeed. Brady Cannon and Wes Reynolds filling in for Michael Lombardi and Patrick Maher on a Tuesday here, live from the South Point Hotel, Casino, and Spa in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. And uh, we, of course, follow the show, a numbers game, a real numbers game today. 222-22, deuces wild on your Tuesday, February 22nd. Wes, let's go back to the college basketball card for this two for Tuesday. And we will begin in the Atlantic 10 Conference conference where the Rams of Rhode Island will be visiting the Bonnies of St. Bonaventure. This is a 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern tip, and the Bonnies opened up as eight-point home favorites here with a total of 133. It's been a real struggle for Rhode Island this season, but St. Bonaventure, really one of the hottest teams in the conference currently, but they may need to win their conference championship if they're going to get into the tournament, and they have put together currently five straight victories Rhode Island looking to spoil the party and put together some quality wins down the stretch just to salvage their season. They are just 1-5 against the spread in their last six games. Currently, St. Bonaventure getting some money as they have moved to nine-point favorites. Your total remains unchanged at 133. Yeah, it's a big number here for St. Bonnie, but you can kind of see why based on how Rhode Island has played of late. They were 12-4 and four as of January 19th, and then now they're 13 and 12 so they have lost eight of their last nine games just looks like a team going in the wrong direction St. Bonaventure kind of interesting here because they do have a four or five game winning streak rather 17 and 7 the A10 is one of those interesting conferences to see how many bids this team this league is really going to get you know they're going to get the automatic bid I think probably the best chance at an at large should they not win the conference tournament is Davidson who's sitting at the top of the league right now at 22 and 4 St. Bonaventure currently in fourth place and you know Dayton VCU they're kind of in the mix but right now this would perhaps if you believe the bracketologist be a one bid league at this standpoint with uh, the Atlantic 10 with uh, assuming Davidson would go ahead and win that tournament but I do lean St. Bonaventure here I don't know if I'm going to lay the nine that's just kind of a big number for a team that sometimes uh, really struggles to score by the way this St. Bonaventure team the Bonnies they rank dead last in the country in bench minutes all five starters go over 30 mm. minutes a game so they really rely on their starters all five starters average between 11 and 15 points so look this is an experienced group but you always worry okay if one or two of these guys get into foul trouble 
then they really, you know, they really take a hit based on how reliant they are on their starting five. So I, I have no interest really in Rhode Island here just based on how they play. You wonder if maybe reality is set in and if these guys, you know, mentally, can you stay with the season when you get a losing streak, I think, in conference play and this late in the season, are you going to be able to stay with it? So if I had to, I'd lay it with St. Bonaventure, but probably not get it involved. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think they certainly feel like a hot team that has something rolling right now and not much is going right, conversely, for Rhode Island. I, I do believe Davidson is the class of this conference. I always like the A-10. It's always very competitive. I seems. think that they should get more than one bid. I hope it's so. Like, VCU, it's like how Dave, many How many do they get? Like I, think I don't one, think they're going to get more than I mean, obviously, they get the auto bid. Yeah, they're going to get think two, get I think, max. One. Yeah, two teams. Because, you know, somebody's probably going to play their way out of that muck because somebody's going to get some wins here. I think – Probably max for the A-10 as a two-bid league, but they got about five or six teams kind of in contention for those two spots. To your point here in liking the favorite, the home team is 8-1 and one against the spread in this series, the last nine meetings. Also, the favorite 4-0 and oh against the spread in the last four meetings. Of course, that would fall both on St. Bonaventure. Big East action is tipping off at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern in Stores, Connecticut, as the Huskies of UConn will play host to the Villanova Wildcats, certainly one of the marquee games of the evening. UConn opened up as one-point favorites with a total of 137. Villanova, they have won five in a row, and they'll be trying to pull off the season sweep of the Huskies, but their star guard, Colin Gillespie, is currently listed as questionable, nursing an ankle injury. As it stands now, UConn has seen a little bit of money up to two-point favorites. Your total also has risen up to 138.5. Tough to get involved in this one, I think, right now, Wes, because you don't necessarily know the status of Gillespie. Mm -hmm. It looks like maybe betters are gambling that he is not going to play. We've seen the movement there on UConn. You know this is probably going to jump another couple of points if he's ruled out. Yeah, I, I think he's more than likely. I would think he's going to go. By the way, when he got hurt in the first place was the first meeting between these two teams where, you know, you, you had some minor kerfuffles, not quite what we saw with Michigan and Wisconsin at the <laughs> end of the game on Sunday. But, you know, a few technicals. Justin Moore didn't play in that game. Colin Gillespie, of course, got hurt. But, uh, look, two very good teams here. Nova was able to run that pick and roll. So what we've seen with UConn is that Danny Hurley, their head coach has experimented a little bit with some one, three, one, because I think he knew he had Villanova coming up and we want to take away that pick and roll Gillespie and more senior guards. And look, that's why you got to like Villanova in March, uh, more being a junior, but you've got experience. You've got three senior starters, including your point guard, Colin Gillespie. So those type of teams are the ones that win in March. The first meeting between these two teams was back on, on February 5th, Villanova won 85 to 74. Villanova has won five in a row, but all of a sudden UConn coming on a little bit though, because remember Adama Sonogo, RJ Cole missed a few games respectively. Uh, Sonogo, Tyrese Martin also missed uh, a few games. So now these guys are back. UConn has won three in a row, close one at St. John's, uh, five point win over Seton Hall, and then 11 over Xavier on Saturday. So UConn, you know, in that third spot right now in the Big East, uh, tied with Creighton. Providence is still your leader, but Villanova 14-3. and three. Villanova did beat Providence on the road last Tuesday. Got a, barely got the cover, but that was kind of like show them who's boss because Providence leading the league, been winning a lot of close games, and then Villanova was able to go up to the dunk and beat him. So 
Eileen Yukon here. I don't like that it's moved all the way to two. This oh, this was Pickham in the overnight. I was actually hoping maybe Yukon would be a would be a dog here, but not much of a difference when I really do kind of lean to this side here. I think that this is Yukon's game, perhaps to win and the really kind of show, okay, we're gonna be a factor here at Madison Square Garden in a couple weeks for the Big East tournament where they usually always are a factor. So small lean to the Huskies here, a small money line at a dollar thirty. Neither team has been very good against the number as of late Villanova two and five against the spread in their last seven and UConn two and six against the number in their last eight. Let's move over to the big 12 where the Sooners of Oklahoma are trying to get off the bubble and make a case for themselves to get into the tournament. They're in Lubbock tonight to face the Red Raiders of Texas Tech. Tech opened up as 10 point favorites with a total of 129 and a half. Oklahoma still licking its wounds after being pounded by Iowa State the last time out. Texas Tech feeling pretty sassy after getting a road win in Austin over the Longhorns of Texas, 61-55 to on Saturday. Obviously, Wes, you have the conference tournament coming up, but the Sooners really have to try and put some momentum together. They have lost 10 of their last 12 games. Red Raiders have seen a little bit of money here as far as the total going over up to 130, but they remain 10-point favorites. Well, this is kind of a same-song, different-verse situation for Texas Tech because if you remember at the start of the month when they beat Texas at home, Chris Beard's return to Lubbock, there is obviously some heat between Texas and Texas Tech and they got Texas, and then the next game, you thought, okay, okay, this is going to be a letdown spot for Texas Tech. Then they go beat West Virginia, and then they were kind of out of gas at Oklahoma. Texas Tech probably played their worst game of the season up in Norman, lost 70-55. to So now they're in a similar spot, but this time at home, because if you look, last Wednesday, they won over Baylor, so they swept the Baylor Bears. And then on Saturday, what do they do? They go to Austin, and Texas Tech brings a lot of fans for a road game at the Irwin Center to face the Longhorns in the rematch, and they get a win over Texas. So they've swept Baylor and Texas both back-to-back. Now you get an Oklahoma team, as you mentioned, that is very much struggling. Porter Moser's first year down there in Norman. This is a decent club, even though they're 14 and 13. But, you know, first-year head coach, some roster turnover. They really – their last win actually was against Texas Tech two weeks ago on February 9th. But – there are still some tens out there, but they are disappearing very quickly. It's pretty much nine and a half across the board. I think you can still find some 10. I do like the Sooners here. I think this is a very similar thing. I could see Texas Tech being a little flat, especially early on. So this is one of those I like to do at this point of the year, Brady, where I'll play a little first half in game. First half's going to be five and a half or six. And then, of course, try to find the 10 if you can on the Sooners. Yeah, I think uh, 10 points feels a little bit rich here. The underdog in this series, 5-0 and against the spread in the last five meetings. And if you're thinking about going over the total, which apparently a few betters are already ready it's six and two to the over in the last games eight or the last eight games overall for Oklahoma and Texas Tech seven and one to the over in their last eight home games we Mm. want to talk about uh, a big rivalry game going down between Kansas State and Kansas but we're going to have to save that we're running out of time here now Kansas a big favorite in this game but this is another one any rivalry game Wes it seems like football basketball what have you especially this time of the year 
year, you're probably first looking towards the dog. Kansas right now has got a one-game lead in the Big Ten, 11-2. Baylor behind at 11-4, and and then Texas Tech at 10-4. and But they're getting K-State here. And K-State, you know, a little bit undermanned, but they have been pesky under Bruce Weber, 14-12. and They have some very quality wins. They've won at Iowa State. They've won at Texas. They've won at TCU. So they've won some good road games here in the conference. Step up in class here. They lost by three at home back in late January to the Jayhawks. And, uh, you know, Kansas, uh, look, they've owned Kansas State pretty much in this rivalry, so they've got Baylor on the road on Saturday where they can really put this conference away. Could be looking at a little bit, even though it's the Sunflower State rivalry. Small lean to Kansas State for me at 12 and a half. We'll dive into that one a little bit more. We wrap up the show with some more college basketball talk, but when we come back, it's baseball time with Joe Sheehan. Stick around. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you missed any part of our show or anything on the VSIN schedule today, don't forget to check out our free sports betting podcast. You can catch replays of all of our shows or download and listen on your schedule. Go to vcin.com slash podcast and get coast-to-coast hoops with Greg Hoops Peterson and look at every major and some of the minor college basketball games on the upcoming schedule to find betting opportunities. There's also Beating the Book with Gil Alexander or Market Insights with Josh Applebaum. Plus, we've got Hardwood Handicappers, the Lombardi Line, Follow the Money, My Guys in the Desert, and many more. They're all for free and available now at vcin.com slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Brady Cannon and Wes Reynolds with you inside the Lombardi line, filling in for Michael Lombardi and Patrick Maher. And Joe Sheehan now joins us. Always one of my favorite times of the year when we get to talk a little baseball with Joe, longtime well-decorated baseball writer. You can check out the Joe Sheehan baseball newsletter at joesheehan.com. Joe, good to be with you again. Of course, uh, the big topic of baseball these days is no baseball yet anyway. They're in day two of meetings down in Jupiter, Florida this morning. What have you heard as far as the latest, how the negotiations are going, and if and when we'll get a baseball season? Yeah, they're dancing around the biggest issue. They're working on, you know, is there going to be a draft lottery, and what does the pool for pre-arbitration players look like? The big issue is going to be the competitive balance tax, the luxury tax. The thresholds have gone up very slowly. The owners are proposing that they continue to go up, go up slowly, and they're increasing the penalties for going over them, trying to turn the tax into basically a salary cap, a payroll cap. The players want to see those penalties decrease, and they want to see the thresholds increase considerably to keep pace with the re- increased revenues in baseball. So as much as they're talking about the side issues, the real big issue is going to be the CBT. When they start talking about that is when we can start to see whether we're, you know, when the season might get going or whether we're going to have this lockout extended into the regular season. Joe, at this point, when uh, we talk to a lot of people around baseball, they're still kind of in the infancy stage where it's like, okay, we think that this is going to get done on time. You know, we're going to lose some spring training, but that the season is going to get started on time. Now, obviously, time can extend that, but what is your assessment in terms of at this point? Do you think that we start on time for the regular season? Well, Wes, I've been in this industry 25 years, and we're all in the infancy stage. We never really right. get out of it. <laughs> right. Uh, I I have swung a lot, I have to be honest. Um, at the start of the winter, I thought this would go fairly smoothly. I didn't think we'd have uh, a delay to the season. I thought we'd have spring training. Um, and as we've seen the owners resolve on some of these issues, uh, they seem to be interested not just in winning, but in having a big win that continues their streak of big wins over the players, which is why it's you know February 22nd, and we're not talking about futures and you know season-long win-loss bets and stuff. We're talking about this stuff. However, the fact that they are meeting this week in Florida, they're meeting, planning to meet every day this week, picking up the pace, starting to see a little movement on some of these issues, um, has me a little more optimistic. The owners have said that they need to finish this by February 28th, next Monday, to have an abbreviated spring training and start the season on time. I think there's probably some wiggle room in that. Um, so get to the middle of next week. At that point, I think you start to lose regular season games. Well, Joe, let's talk about that. Uh, some of that fun stuff you mentioned. We don't have season win totals yet, but we do have futures odds out there to win the divisions. We'll start in the American League, and I want to start with the American League East. The Yankees and the Blue Jays are the favorites to win the division, both at two to one. The Tampa Bay Rays at plus three twenty-five. The Red Sox at four to one, and the Orioles a whopping one hundred and fifty to one to win the division. Wes and I have been talking for a couple of years now that this Blue Jays team is a year or two away. Well, well, I think we're about at the year now, which would have been a year or two away. Are they ready, and are they a good bet at 2-1? to one? I don't think they're a great bet at 2-1, to one, uh, mostly because I like value on a different team in the division. 
uh, it's hard to separate the top of the team, top of this league. You know, the Jays are now bringing along some of their young pitching. Uh, we saw Alec Manoa have a strong debut last year. Hopefully Nate Pearson will be healthy again to go with that incredible offense that they built with Bo Bichette and Vlad Guerrero. Uh, it's a really good, strong team. I do think they're a left-handed batter short. I have some concerns about the bullpen. Julian Merriweather looked like he was going to be great at the start of last year and basically missed the entire season. So they'll get him back. But I... I don't know that I would take the Jays at two. I really did like the Rays there at you know three twenty was it plus three twenty five three three and a quarter to one. Yeah, you know, they've won this division two years in a row now. They won it legitimately. It's not like they're winning it with eighty eight wins. Um, they're bringing back basically the entire team from last year. They'll get a full year of Wander Franco. They'll get a full year of Shane Boz. Uh, I, I think the Rays at three twenty five plus three twenty five are a fantastic. Bet. Joe, uh, one of the things that maybe could shake up the AL East a little bit is depending on if Carlos Correa ends up in that division. And that's kind of the big ticket right there in the free agent market. Of course, he did hire Scott Boris as his agent. The Astros, I believe, offered him five years, 160, and he went ahead and turned that down. Where do you anticipate Correa is going to end up? Do you think it's going to be New York or do you think it's going to be Los Angeles? I'm not sure it's going to be either of those places. I look at Philadelphia, where the Phillies have spent money on free agents like Zach Wheeler and, and Bryce Harper and had a lot of success. They have a real hole at shortstop. They've got Edie Gutierrez, who's really at the end of his career. There's a potential rookie shortstop in Bryson Stott, but you know he's not going to be a superstar his first year. If you look at the Phillies' willingness to spend money, their needs make a ground on the Braves and the Mets and their hole at shortstop. I think the Phillies are the sleeper in this entire race. And you make a good point, though. You know, if you look at the free agent market right now, there are probably 40 to 50 wins, 40 to 50 war, still out there ready to be distributed. That's going to shake up these future markets once the lockout ends and once these players start signing. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking here, Joe. If you think Correa has a good shot to go to the Philadelphia Phillies, let's maybe move over to the NL East here and look at that division. You've got the New York Mets as the favorite at plus 140, the defending champion Atlanta Braves at plus 160, and the Phillies are sitting there pretty juicy at plus 450. Might that be a bet you'd have some interest in based upon your projections as far as Correa? Yeah, I mean, they look at the star, the stars at the top of the uh, roster. I mentioned Wheeler and Harper. I'm a big fan of Aaron Nola coming into this year. You look at JT Realmuto, who you know wasn't great last year, but he, for a catcher, is one of the better hitters of the position. Um, I like that core of talent. Uh, you know, Joe Girardi didn't have a great first year. That bullpen was really shaky. They actually lost Hector Neris. But brought in Corey Kniebel, I think, stabilizes the back of that bullpen. And if they make that one move, that really elevates them. You know, the, the, the Phillies at 450, certainly. Let me ask you, since we're in this division, though, what are the Marlins listed at? Uh, the Marlins 12 are yeah, 12-1. to 1. There's your bet. This is a team that right now has probably eight major league average or better starting pitchers. Um, we saw breakouts last year from, from Trevor Rogers, from Sandy Alcantara, who signed a big deal. Their offense is a concern. Um, but I think you can see Jazz Chisholm taking a step forward this year, really breaking out. They've gone out and gotten Jacob Stallings, who's one of the best defensive catchers in the game. They're really trying to improve this team. They also have some money to spend. You know, Kim Ng, he signed Alessio Garcia. That's not a big ticket item, but he also improves the offense. That's, got, that's a team that's got that the level of pitching that they could have the big step forward that we see teams like the 91 Rays or the 2008 Rays jump forward and steal this division. Marlins at 12-1 to 1 are tremendous value. 
So it sounds like uh, just uh, gathering your intel, Joe, on the NL East. That maybe not you're you're not a seller on the Mets, but you're not necessarily a buyer, despite the fact that they were big buyers in the offseason. They still have real defensive concerns. They signed they signed Starling Marte to play center field. Marte defensive numbers have really started to slip. Um, probably more corner outfielder. There might not be a center fielder on that roster, and it gets into some of these issues the Mets have had with aligning with talent and putting good defense behind their starters. You also look past Degrom and Scherzer from serious questions. I love Carlos Carrasco, but he hasn't pitched a full season in some time. It's going to be David Peterson at the back end. Remember, they lost Marcus Stroman. So pitching depth is a real issue for them. Um, obviously, a shortened season probably helps them if you only need 130 starts. It'll be easy to get through, but I have real concerns about the Mets depth. Joe, just about 30 seconds left here, but I want to touch on the National League West. The odds makers are telling us it's once again between the Giants, the Pirates, or excuse me, the Padres and the Dodgers. The Dodgers at minus 150, the Padres at plus 275, and the Giants at plus 350 to win that division. I mean, San Francisco was an absolute surprise last season. Can they possibly contend again in a follow-up year? And they can. I just don't see them with the loss of Posey's going to hurt them. They had a lot of guys playing at the top of their range last year, so I would erase them. You're talking between the Dodgers and the, the Padres. This is the weakest Dodgers team in some time. The Padres had a lot of things go wrong last year. They just have better health. That plus 270 looks really good. All right, Joe, great to talk some baseball with you. Hopefully we get to do it more often here, my friend, and we get this uh, labor issue resolved pretty quickly. Talk to you again, Joe, and hopefully we get to enjoy a season with you, my friend. Knock on wood, fellas. Take care. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. So what about your Reds, Wes? They are nine, let's see, no, they are five to one to win the Central. Yeah, we, uh, Dave Ross and I had Danny Graves on on Sunday. It's like, can you come help the bullpen, Danny? You still got a little bit in you because uh, that's what you're worried about. I feel like the Reds' window may have closed here. Brewers and Cardinals clearly the two teams to beat in that central division. Yeah, the Reds were kind of a wise guy team the past couple of seasons, but you're right. Maybe they missed their window of opportunity. I'm fired up for baseball. Football's over. Hopefully baseball gets going here pretty quick. We'll continue on with some golf next on the Lombardi Line. VSIN has a great new offer that can only be described as madness. You get VSIN all access to everything we do from now through the College Basketball Championship on April the 4th for only $29. Sign up now to get our daily best bet emails, 24 7 video access, the upcoming College Hoops betting guide, bracket breakdowns, plus full access to vsin.com with our exclusive betting split breakdowns on every game. This deal only happens once a year, so don't miss out. Visit vsin.com slash madness to sign up today. Welcome back to the Lombardi Line presented by BetMGM. Brady Cannon and Wes Reynolds with you. And later today, you'll be able to find the Long Shots podcast up at vsin.com slash podcast. And boy, what a run the Long Shots crew has been on in 2022. We kicked it off, all three of us, Matt Humans, Wes, and myself on Cameron Smith. Matt Humans then hit Hideki Matsuyama at the Sony Open for a winner. We took a break for the American Express. We nearly had Will Zalatoris and Justin Rose at Torrey Pines, but Luke List got us. And then we resumed our winning ways at Pebble Beach with Tom Hoagie. Wes and I both on Hoagie. You and Matt hit Scotty Scheffler in Phoenix. And then, of course, you had Joaquin Neiman 
to wrap up the West Coast swing at the Genesis Invitational. Matt actually had a play on humans, or excuse me, on Joaquin Neiman in pocket as well. Unfortunately, it was not published, but uh, needless to say, it's been a pretty good run, and hopefully the momentum carries over to the Florida swing, where this week the PGA Tour will tee off for the Honda Classic at uh, the famous Bear Trap, the final three holes there at the Champions Course in Palm Beach Gardens. Your defending champion is Sunjay M. And Wes, uh, what are your thoughts? This is one of the most difficult, and we come from a tournament at Riviera, one of the most difficult golf courses on tour. The players are going to find another very tough test this week. Yeah, I kind of don't want to leave the West Coast swing, to be honest with you. Uh, hitting three in a row, me personally, the crew, obviously you're on the board, Matt's on the board, we're all on the board, all have been doing very well. So uh, I can't really just name it the West Coast swing. Ah, very good. And, you know, By I, the way, I was I mistaken. Like uh, Matt Jones is your defending champion. Yes. Sun JM was two years ago. Yes. And uh, look, now we're starting the floor to swing. Uh, this is a little bit down of a field simply because, look, we had such an elite field last week at the Genesis. And then after the Honda Classic in Palm Beach, you have back-to-back -back Bay Hill up in Orlando for the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Then you have the Players' Championship, which is arguably the best field of the entire season on the PGA Tour. So this is kind of the week a lot of the top guys, none of the top 10 in the world are playing this week, whereas all of them played last week at Riviera. So you still have good quality players at the top here, but it is a little bit of a downfield. I think number one for the scheduling spot and also Brady, because, uh, you know, uh, in terms of a non-major course, so obviously taking out the courses that host major championships, this is the hardest course on the PGA Tour when you look at it. The average round score over the last few years has been 71-38. By the way, this is a par 70. So you're averaging almost a stroke and a half over par here. And you look at the winning scores over the years. Now, Matt Jones went 12 under last year to win this at 70-1, to but... A lot of single-digit scores winners here at PGA National. Soon JM was six under par back in 2020. Keith Mitchell in 2019, nine under was the winning score. 2018, Justin Thomas, eight under. Adam Scott won at nine under in 2016. Patty Harrington at six under in 2015. So, you know, you get a lot of, like, single digits or maybe very low teens. You do not see, you know, 17 to 20 under par. Well, 19 last week was a huge surprise. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, whenever I guess scores, that's one thing I'm bad about with golf handicapping because I always think it's going to be a little bit closer to par. And then these guys shoot 19 under to win last week. Joaquin Neiman, who, by the way, lost almost four strokes putting in his final round and still won by two. That shows you how well he was tee to green and really around the green as well. And Neiman's in this field this week at 18 to one. I thought he might withdraw after that win because sometimes you see that happen. But Sun J.M., the favorite, 12 to one. He has won here. Sun J.M. back in Florida. We know he loves the Bermuda, and this is all going to be Bermuda grass now on the greens here pretty much throughout in Florida. So soon, J.M., Daniel Berger, one of the Jupiter boys, along with Brooks Kepka, a couple other guys in the field. Florida that, State Seminoles. Yes, that live only about 15 minutes from this course. Brooks Kepka actually is born in West Palm Beach, so 20 minutes away from where PGA National is in Palm Beach Gardens. But you know, still a good field, but you can see if you go over like the uh, recent history and the recent winners of this event, you see a lot of triple digit shots. Keith Mitchell got there uh, at, at triple digits in 2019, Harrington in 2015, Henley in 2014, Michael Thompson in 2013. These guys were all like 
you know, a couple hundred, 300 to some, even I think Harrington was like 400 to one when he won. So this is something where you can go a little bit down the board, because I think if you look initially at that first page, look, all quality players, they can win, but none of them really like send shivers down your spine. Exactly. I think it was tough for me this week in my initial handicap, and I'm not quite finished just yet. We'll right. have head to head matchups and all that stuff on the podcast long shots a little bit later today. But because of that watered down field, it just feels like maybe the top 20 or 30 guys on the board is where your winner is going to come from, from a handicapping standpoint, when you just look at the stats and the correlated courses sure. and all the guys that make sense, but you're right. Uh, and that's where I'm trying to find that diamond in the rough. Who's somebody further down the board? Because like you say, you know, it, it can be very random. And I think it's even more so when you do have a watered down field like this, uh, especially the difficulty of the golf course. You talked about one of the most uh, difficult golf courses outside of the major championship venues. I think it's five out of the last seven years on tour that the Honda Classic has been the toughest non-major golf course. And I think one of those reasons, uh, Wes, is because a lot of the the wind that they get mm-hmm. there and the wind can really wreak havoc on those last three holes the bear trap they blow them in the water too by the way the, ton the of mo- water on the most course. water balls we we didn't see any water last week at riviera it's on 15 of the 18 holes here and those winds as you mentioned this is a pretty exposed course so those balls get blown in the water we talk about the bear trap of course 15 through 17 five through seven on the front nine is not an easy stretch of holes either those are just you know where you're going to have bogeys so like when you're looking at this week obviously you look at approach every single week and approach proved to be pertinent last week as Joaquin Neiman led the field in that category but this is one where you got to look a little bit at bogey avoidance, I mm-hmm. think, maybe scrambling. Sand game. saves. Yes, absolutely. A lot of sand so, on this. I mean, we're, we're in Florida, right? Yeah. So it's about water and sand traps. Yes, and you're going to get, you're going to make bogeys. I don't care who you are. You're going to make bogeys on this course, but just can you avoid them? Can you avoid those big numbers? Can you like, okay, I'll take my medicine and take my five and not make it a six or a seven because you're going to lose strokes here. Even that 18th, which is a par five. A lot of guys are happy to escape with par on that hole because you're going over water here. And yeah, yeah, this, this will beat you up. And I think that's one of the reasons why you might see some top end players skipping this event this week. And if you look at the forecast, the wind looks pretty benign, Wes. On Thursday, I think I saw around 14 or 15 Mm -hmm. miles an hour, which is a pretty decent breeze. But the rest of the weekend, it looks to be pretty calm. And we saw what calm conditions did to Riviera last week. Uh, Joaquin Neiman nearly put up 20 under par, which we haven't seen since Lanny Watkins did that in 1985. So 19 under par to win at Riviera last week was a real outlier. And if the conditions are calm here at the Honda, who knows? Maybe we get something, you know, outside of the norm again. Right, and 12 under by Matt Jones was the winner here last year. And we also saw benign conditions at the Sony Open at Wileye out in Honolulu where, you know, these guys, I think the winning score, I think to get in that playoff was like 24 under or something like that. Usually you see kind of in the low to mid-teens out there. So if the wind doesn't blow, it might not beat these guys up like normal where you see, you know, five under, six under winning on Sunday. But, but you never know. So 
yeah, this is a tournament where you're kind of trying to find those diamonds in the rough. And you talked about, look, the top 20 to the top 30, while they don't scare you, they certainly make the most sense because they're the ones that are going to pop on all the stat models that you look at. But it's like, who is going to be that 100-to-1 young guy that you wouldn't think would play well on a very tough course because it's usually veteran guys and experienced guys that play well on tough courses. So looking at those triple-digit guys, man, that that's what I'm kind of looking for maybe to in the back half of my card where I'm going to have a couple guys 100, 125 to 1, 150 to 1, because this is the tournament where those guys have gotten there. What about some of the debutantes? Uh, you know, we know at Augusta National, first-timers rarely ever won. Hasn't happened since Fuzzy Zeller in 1979. And and I stayed away a little bit from the guys that are playing the Honda Classic for the first time mm -hmm. because of how difficult this course is. Yeah, and there's some that's... really good guys. There's some really good guys. Christian Bizadenhout, uh, Mito Pereira, Aaron Rye have never played here before, mm -hmm. but I don't know if they're going to make my card, being it is their first time. Yeah, one did, and that's Bizadenhout. But uh, I look, Mito Pereira is very popular this week. And, of course, uh, the Chile narrative, I guess, is Chile going to go back-to-back <laughs> -back on the PGA Tour. Joaquin Neiman, of course, did it in Los Angeles last week. But, yeah, you do look at a lot of good players that are debuting players. Cameron Young, who, of course, played mm -hmm. very well, was uh, tied for second last week out at Riviera in that final group with Neiman. He'll probably get a little bit of support. Aaron Rye will get some support here as well He's been playing this well. Week. I yeah. just worry about him, you know, never having seen a very difficult golf course. Right, right, and that's what does kind of scare you off and why you probably got to look at some proven ball striker types here. All right, when we come back, we dive back into the college basketball card. Some good games on the late slate, including a couple in the Mountain West. Uh, do they battle for the Fremont Cannon on the hardwood? That's football only, correct? <laughs> UNLV and Nevada coming up later tonight on the college hardwood. We'll talk about it on the other side. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. 
Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All the action you need is at BetMGM. Sign up now using the bonus code VEASAN1000 and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. When you register with BetMGM, you'll also get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, player props, and daily boosted odds specials. Plus, you'll earn BetMGM reward points that you can redeem for room nights and dining at MGM Resorts nationwide. Simply download the BetMGM app today or go to BetMGM.com and enter the bonus code VSIN1000 to make your first wager risk-free up to $1,000. Eligibility restrictions apply. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards are issued as non-withdrawable free bets or a site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. If you have a problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. Brady Cannon and Wes Reynolds with you wrapping up the Lombardi line. Next up, we head down to the Circa Resort and Casino for Odds On with Amal Shah and Mike Palm. But before we do that, let's take a look at some more games on the college basketball card for your Tuesday 2 22 And at 24 in the country are the Alabama Crimson Tide. They will be in Nashville to take on the Commodores of Vanderbilt. This is a 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern tip and Alabama opened as three and a half point favorites with a total of 151. And I thought this was a very interesting number here, Wes. Now I know Vanderbilt gave Auburn some trouble about a week ago, but eventually they fell off and Auburn was able to get the win over Vanderbilt. But Alabama, again, opening as a three and a half point road favorite. And maybe some other people thought the number was a little short as well as they are now up to four and a half point favorites. And your total has bumped up as well to 153 and a half. Yeah, and uh, Alabama, by the way, and we've kind of talked about this team all year that, like, they're either going to run it to, like, the Final Four or they're going to get beat in the first round by a double-digit mid-major type. Anything can happen with this bunch, which is why they're kind of a little bit shaky in terms to bet on or even bet against in some spots. Uh, They went to Kentucky on Saturday, played a very good first half, but not a very good second half. Kentucky ended up, I believe, uh, the final margin for the Wildcats, 1.41 points per possession. By the way, if you don't know what that number means, that's a lot. And that means the other team played bad defense or one team played good offense. It was probably a little bit of both in Alabama's case, but they could not protect the rim at all, and they've had a real issue at doing that. So Nate Oates did come out after the game, and I think in terms of a Sunday media availability, and said, look, I'm going to play my five best defensive players after how poorly they played at Kentucky, but your guess is as good as anybody, I think, really who those are. So, look, they got to prepare for Vanderbilt, and Vanderbilt runs a lot of, you know, action motion. They want to get up. 
Pippen, Scotty Pippen's son, you know, all over the floor. Jerry Stackhouse, of course, the coach down there in Vanderbilt. But is Rodney Chapman, who's going to be questionable, is he going to be able to go this game? Because uh, Vanderbilt, by the way, 0.14 points per possession in SEC play with him on the floor. So, you know, you could kind of use him. You can get to the rim on Alabama just based on what I've seen all season from this team is that, look, they, they are a run-and-gun type of team. NATOs, they have a very fast tempo, and that's what they're wanting to do, you know, three or at the rim, basically. The problem is Alabama not the greatest three-point shooting team. Maybe they're going to get some positive shooting regression, but this is one I'm going to stay away from. I know Alabama's gotten a little bit of the early one. I wanted to make a case for Vanderbilt, but I think I'm going to leave this one alone. Well, Vanderbilt is 6-0 and against the number in their last six games, and maybe these trends are pointing people towards the over. The over is 16-6 and in the last 22 games for Alabama and also 7-0 and in the last seven games for Vanderbilt. We move to the Mountain West Conference and we go to Boise, Idaho. The Boise State Broncos hosting the San Diego State Aztecs and Boise State trying to pull off the season sweep of San Diego State. It's number three in the conference versus number one. And both of these teams look to be in the dance at this point, West, but San Diego State certainly more so on the bubble than be uh, than Boise State. And the number has not moved much at all. Boise State opened as a two-point favorite. They remain two-point favorites over San Diego State. And the total opened at 119 is now ticked up to 119 and a half. A very low total. And of course, we know San Diego State can really play defense. Yeah, and if you like defense, you really would have liked the first meeting, by the way. Defense, poor offense, probably a combination of the both. Because back on uh, January 22nd, Boise State did go to Viejas Arena and did beat San Diego State. 42 to 37 was the final <laughs> score. Brady. Not even 80 points. No. So, you know, it's just absolutely awful offense by really both teams. And then all of a sudden, you know, San Diego State took a little bit of a dive, but now they could look like they're on the upswing. They have won five in a row. They did beat Fresno State on the road on Saturday. San Diego State, of course, number one in adjusted defensive efficiency in terms of the Ken Palm, and they're getting Boise State in a payback spot. But up at the uh, Extra Mile Arena up there in Boise, it used to be called the Taco Bell Arena. I guess it's a new name now. But anyway, Boise State currently 20. 21 and six. They are 12 and two in the league right now. They would be the number one seed in the Mountain West tournament here in the Thomas and Mac. Wyoming, the two. San Diego State, the three. Colorado State, the four. I don't know if you're going to get four, Brady. I think those are the four that you would certainly consider. I think this conference is going to get at least three, but 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 maybe even four. I think this Mountain West has been a very good conference, but you look at just kind of going back to this game. Uh, uh, look, uh, Brian Dutcher had a lot of extra prep for the first game. It was in Viejas. Uh, Boise State's old like defensive coordinator is now a assistant at San Diego State. I know that's a football term, but they'll use it for basketball too. Chris Acker is on Brian Dutcher's staff, so you thought, okay, they're going to be really prepared for Boise State, and then you know, the COVID kind of hit San Diego state. And I think that that's why they were out of sync and they just didn't have any gas in that first game, that 42 to 37 Boise state win, as I mentioned. So, you know, you worry it, it you know, 
if this is going to be, you know, where the offense is just kind of going to die. I would think with that total at 121, now people are saying they scored 79 in the first game. So, of course, we're going to go to the under, even though the over's gotten hit a little bit. I worry if I'm betting the over that it's going to be on pace, but it's going to be such a close game where it's like a one or two possession game, not a lot of fouling, a lot of taking the shot clock down 30 seconds at a time, and then it just kind of dies here. So, uh, Basically, what I'm looking at is I may be looking at like an in play here. Initial lean would be the San Diego State on the payback, but I would need a little bit more than two. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I like San Diego State in the revenge spot. I don't want any part of the total. I have, I mean, you. my initial reaction would be to play the over because mm-hmm. of what happened in the mm-hmm. first game. It was so low, kind of an outlier there, but uh, I think I'm staying away from this one. Uh, I would take San Diego State if I could probably get three or more points. Uh, you mentioned Wyoming, another good club out of the Mountain West. They just lost recently outright as favorites on the road to New Mexico. New Mexico will be on the road at Utah State. We'll see if New Mexico can pull it off again, or will they let down? And they are being bet against. They opened as 11.5 point underdogs at Utah State. They are now uh, up to 12 point underdogs, and your total has been hit to the under. Opened at 151, and now we're at 149. Well, I was about to buy into New Mexico that they had been playing well, and I was on them against Wyoming. They lose at home to Colorado State. No shame in that, but they lost big at San Jose State, who had not won a game in Mountain West play. Tim Miles has got a rebuild out there, so it's like what what because I've seen New Mexico in person now, a little bit of a different team back then, but I saw them against the Rebels out here, and we'll get to them in a moment. And they did not look very good. So are you going to be able to bounce back here against Utah State? It was a wild contest in the first meeting down at the pit. So, uh, you know, New Mexico hit the shots. And and I think Ryan Odom, he's going to dare because he doesn't want to get beat off the bounce. So you saw Utah State sag a little bit in that first game. And New Mexico hit the shots and made him pay in what was a close win. So, you know, New Mexico, I think, was 17 to 34 from three-point shooting against Utah State in the first meeting. I don't expect that the second time around, but I think this number at 12, 12 and a half is about right. Well, you mentioned UNLV. The running Rebels are up north in Reno to take on Nevada. One of the final games on the rotation for your Tuesday, 8 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. Eastern tip. And these two teams pretty evenly matched as far as the standings in the conference and pretty evenly matched as far as the odds go as well. This opened up as a pick but Nevada has seen the money, West. They are now two-and-a-half-point favorites, and your total has dipped down to 140. The Rebels have won two in a row. The Wolfpack have won three straight. Yeah, UNLV did pull off the season sweep over Colorado State. They were getting four, four and a half at home. Everybody was going against the Rebels, and they dominated Colorado State on Saturday. uh, Nevada, by the way, has won three straight, two of them over against bottom feeder San Jose State. Warren Washington is going to come back tonight, so that'll help them defensively and with their depth. Uh, Nevada also did not have to play over the weekend either, so they've had some extra time to prep for the Rebels. I do like the Wolfpack tonight up in Reno. All right, very good. Well, that is going to do it for us. Next up, it is Odds On. We head over to the Circa Resort and Casino in downtown Las Vegas. Mike Palm and Amal Shah will take you through the next hour. Stick with us for more betting information on your Deuces Wild Tuesday right here at VSIN, the Sports Betting Network.
From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.